This is Rumble with Michael Moore. I'm Michael Moore, and this is a special edition of Rumble, an emergency podcast system edition of my podcast, because we are in a revolution. I was just talking to Nick, our editor, sound engineer here for Rumble, um, before we began, and he was telling me about how proud he is to be an American. And I'm like, well, what, what, explain, what do you mean by that? He's a young person, you know, young adult. He said, I've lived my life as an American in this country. And not until this weekend have I seen my fellow Americans rise up, demand to be heard, demand to stop the insanity. And he said he got such a rush out of watching imagery after imagery across the country of Americans in the streets defying the police, defying Trump, defying the whole rotten, stinking system. And Nick was like, yes, this is what it means to be an American. Wow, I got like, I got chills. I got chills when he said it because I thought, yes, me too. Yes, we're all that. We are Yes, we are Americans. This is how we're supposed to behave. Into the streets. Up against the wall. Wow. The dominant imagery, though, on display for the last couple nights revealed a great truth. And that truth is the grand American experiment is dead. It's been killed by the collective knee of white power, white privilege, and white ownership of property, of wealth, of its wage slave labor. The grand promise that all are equal. It's been a lie from the beginning, from when that constitution was written by only white men, and they put it in the Constitution that only white male property owners could be voters in this democracy. I love how they slipped in the property owner. That was very important. So poor whites couldn't vote either. White male property owners were the only voters. Oh, and they wanted to make sure they had like a House of Lords type situation, one that had power though. So they created the U.S. Senate. And they gave the uh, the smaller smaller population wise the southern states uh, two senators to have the same number of senators as the more populated states in the north would have, so they would have unequal power, the slave states. They would have an electoral college where they would then get to actually their electoral votes would match the other the the way the system had been set up so that they got to count their slaves as three fifths of a human being. Because, you know, every congressional district is based on how many people live in that district. And then it's supposed to be equal throughout the country. So we have, let's say right now we have 435 congressional districts. I think they all have around 700,000 citizens, 750,000. Well, the slave states didn't like that because, well, there were less white people there. In fact, many of the states, they have more slaves than they have white people. So they wouldn't sign on to the Constitution unless it was set up so that 
the um, they could count their slaves as citizens of the district, but because they really weren't citizens, because they really weren't human, they were only counted as three-fifths human. So they added up all the slaves and divided by whatever, gave them all three-fifths of a, of a merit badge, and then the southern states got all those extra votes in the Electoral College, and that's why they've controlled the whole fucking system for these 230 years. So it's been it's been a lie from the beginning. All men... Oh, that part was true. Men. All men are created equal. One lie after another. Be it with race, gender, America the beautiful. Hmm. Really? We have never even repented for our original sins of slavery and genocide. How can we ever call ourselves beautiful? We have never sought any redemption for our behavior. A country that was founded on genocide. No disagreement there, right, folks? That's how we came here and took the land. And then built on the backs of slaves. An economy that was built without having to pay labor. That's your, that's your greatest cost. <laughs> Any kind of business is your labor. Imagine not having to pay for labor. That's how we got such a rocket start to, ha- to, to becoming, in a very short period of time, one of the world's and then eventually the world's richest economies because we had slavery. That's how we built this country. And not just down south in the early days, slaves all over. Well, I didn't own any slaves. Why are you picking on me? <laughs> How many times do white people, people, white people just don't get this. Do not understand that we are, we now in the 21st century, those of us who are white already have a leg up, have a head start because all of our white ancestors that came before us didn't have to go what black people and what black families had to go through. So we've always been ahead. We always, each generation got to start and restart the game with black people back on the one-yard line and us on the 50-yard line. Who do you think has a better chance of, of getting to the goal? The people, the people on the 50-yard line or 49 yards back on the one-yard line? No. No. America the beautiful. This has been an historic American weekend. Nothing ever like this. When rebellions have happened, when black people have risen up, it's been in a specific city. L.A. after Rodney King, uh, Detroit in um, 67, when the police rioted um, after they tried to break up a, a, a welcome home party for two black Detroit Vietnam vets. They had just come home from Vietnam and the neighborhood wanted to honor them. And they had a party. But the party wasn't legal. The party was going beyond 2 (laughs) a.m. So the police decided to raid it. And arrest the people who were there to welcome these veterans home. And all shit broke loose. And the National Guard was brought in. And dozens 
of African Americans were killed by the state of Michigan. I'm not going to go through all the other, you know them. But in my lifetime, at least, um, other than maybe perhaps on on the night of and the night after um, the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated, I have not seen anything like what happened last night. This I'm referring now to Saturday night. I couldn't keep track of how many cities, and the press couldn't either, because the, the poor press, they've, you know, the, the large, you know, the networks and the, the big papers like the Times, they used to have bureaus all throughout the country. They don't have that anymore. So they use freelancers, and they try to cobble together something called the news. Um, but you could see that at first I thought, oh, my God, this is going on in 50 cities. And then it was like, oh, my God, this is going, this is going on in Grand Rapids, Michigan? Extensive damage, they said. Erie, Pennsylvania, Reno, Iowa, in Iowa, Omaha. What? Some someday soon, somebody will figure out exactly how many cities had an uprising last night. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's close to a hundred, and I wouldn't be surprised if tonight, today, tomorrow, it's two hundred. In fact, I just saw something come over one of the services here, news services, saying that a lot more small towns are rising up today. Already here in the afternoon. I'm recording this on, on Sunday afternoon, May 31st. And yes, of course, the uprising is because of what happened to George Floyd. Mr. George Floyd lynched by the Minneapolis police. Not just the guy with a knee on his neck, but the other other three cops that were helping him. Who were two of them who were holding down the lower part of his body that you can't see on that one that one video. Videotaped by a seventeen year old girl, Darnella Frazier. Lynched, killed, murdered. Premeditated, by the way. Premeditated. You know, premeditated doesn't mean that this this cop, Derek is his name with a knee. It's not like he was sitting around, he woke up that morning, he had a big plot to kill George Floyd. No, he knew that that when he was doing what he was doing, he was doing it in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses and and he knew he was being filmed and none of it mattered because this black man really wasn't human, wasn't really even an animal. I don't know, would you ever do, would you do that to a dog or a goat or, no, he wasn't even an animal, just trash, something subspecies. And the interesting thing of those nine minutes, or as they call it, eight minutes and 46 seconds, but I believe nothing with this, this, Obviously, this medical examiner and this prosecutor in Minneapolis, fuck them. <laughs> Liars. <sighs> Anyways, for the eight minutes and 46 seconds, um, for nearly three minutes of that time, the last three minutes, they said that the, that the uh, suspect was unresponsive, meaning he was dead. There was no pulse. You can even hear one of the officers saying, I don't think there's a pulse here. And that 
cop kept his knee on his neck for almost another full three minutes, the neck of a dead man. (sighs) Wow. To do that, to hear that he doesn't have a pulse, to know that, that he says he can't breathe, he's calling for his deceased mother. He's dying. In fact, he says, I'm dying. You're killing me. When you hear that, and when you're told by your fellow officers that he's dying, and you continue to do it, at that moment, it's premeditated. You've made a premeditated decision to keep the knee going until the last breath is snuffed out of him. And when it is, you very, very sick. You keep the knee there for another three minutes on a dead man. Wow. First degree murder. Nothing less and the same for the other cops who assisted. If you are an accomplice to murder, look it up. You know what it's called? Murder. You're a murderer too. Just because you didn't pull the gun, pull, you know, just because you didn't, if you stood there and assisted the person with the gun that killed the person, you are too a murderer. That's the law. I can't, I can't, I have not been able to sleep. That's just the truth. When I saw that video, I mean, what number of days ago was that? I don't know. And they, and I watched the whole thing in his last breath calling out to his dead mother, Mama, Mama, Mama. If there are white people who are listening to this and you don't quite grasp it yet, um, if you don't understand why so many people are in the streets, and, and while it's maybe a majority of black people, but you've, see, you've seen, the, you've seen the, the revolt, it's black people, it's brown people, it's white people. It's a lot of young people. God bless all of you, young people, because you do not want this world that we've handed you, and you know it. And that's why you're out there. Bless every one of you. Please be careful. But I want to, maybe I can explain this. If you don't, if you don't quite get the rage, if you're so focused on the fact, oh, what's this one report? I heard this morning that on 2nd Avenue in New York City, between Houston Street and 14th Street, so that's roughly about 14 city blocks in Manhattan, on 2nd Avenue, this report said that nearly every bank branch along 2nd Avenue in those 14 blocks had some or all of its windows smashed out. The store next to it, no. The pizza place on the other side of it, no. The bank, yes. Ah, well, you shouldn't do that. Hmm, really? I have to tell you, this is what I think of what I saw. I can't believe the restraint of the citizens. They haven't killed a single person. They haven't shot a single cop. Thank God, don't. Don't do that. We're going to win this. But the fact that they haven't done it, that they haven't done that, Do you realize the restraint? If you don't, then maybe this will help you. Imagine that we white people were the minority in this country. By the way, we will be somewhere in the 2040s, 
the all the demographics show that that's the case. So, you know, might be good to change your ways right now because you are going to be the minority. And God forbid, right? Yeah. Okay. So imagine that, but let's let's imagine it right now. White people are the minority, and black people are the majority, the vast majority of this country, and the majority of cops are black. What do you think you or other white people would do if year after year after year, these black majority cops assassinated white people, randomly killed white people, randomly shot white kids, unarmed white kids in the back? What if they threw down a decent white man and and this black cop put his knee to the neck until the person was dead and then kept the knee there another three minutes. I'm serious, folks. Just, I mean, I know it's hard to imagine this, but just imagine a black majority country. We're the minority and it's your son that was pulled over last night and shot to death by the black police. Little freckle-faced Jimmy out there playing with his little toy gun, the 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 the, the black cops show just show up and immediately shoot this twelve-year-old to death. Your little Jimmy, your little Billy, your little Justin. Can you tell me what do you think would happen if that were the case? If if this was a majority black country and the black police force just started randomly killing us. What do you think would happen? You know what would happen. First of all, let's just start with our white guys with those assault weapons going into the state capitals of Michigan and Wisconsin over the last month, walking in with assault weapons and shutting down our legislatures. Tell me what those guys would do if black police were randomly killing innocent white kids. We'd shoot the fuckers, wouldn't we? You're damn right. There'd be so many white snipers up on so many rooftops shooting black cops. They'd shoot them and keep shooting them until the black cops stopped killing these innocent white kids. You know that's exactly what would happen. No white person in the white majority, the 65% of white men who voted for Trump, those white guys, do you think they would put up for a second foot up with this? I think that that black majority police force might be able to get away with one or two killings, but by then, two would be two to white people would be uh, a massacre, and white people would get their guns and deal with it. The police chief of Minneapolis this morning was standing there going, yeah, we took an AR-15 off somebody and we took another a gun. And What do you mean you took them off them? What, what happened to the Second Amendment? You're, 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 you're telling me that you took guns off of protesters? They have a right to those guns. At least that's what you've told me. You took their guns? Does who, who, anyone who's listening to this who believes in self-defense, let's just call it that, doesn't believe that every black American right now has a right to carry a gun for self-defense, not to take revenge, because black people don't do that, really, do they? Didn't do it in South Africa. 
oh, the white people, are, oh, if we let the black people, the majority, if we let them take over, we're all going to die. No, it didn't happen, did it? Oh, back in this country, 160 years ago. Oh, if we free the slaves, they'll kill us all. They'll kill us all. Slaves got freed. They didn't kill the white people. The white people who had tortured them and beat them, killed them, raped them, didn't. The black people, when they were free, didn't do anything except just wanted to go and live, live their friggin' lives. No, you know, this is why the, this is why you have to understand this. You have to, it's called empathy. Put yourself in the shoes of African Americans and imagine you having the restraint after you saw one innocent white person after another being shot and murdered by the police. You wouldn't put up with it. And why should they? <laughs> They're not taking their revenge out on us. No, they're peacefully protesting. And a few of them are angry. And then they don't, then they're not so peaceful when it comes to property and cars. But they're not killing anybody. Oh, and I have to listen to this. Oh, there's all the good cops. There's just a few bad apples, bad apple cops. Most cops are good. I have to tell you that my, my experience actually with police is, is I would say, generally decent. I, I can, I know a number of cops that are really great people. But as they were hauling away somebody on TV last night, a black kid, he kept shouting out, there are no good cops. There are no good cops. And then he shouts, as long as there are bad cops, there are no good cops. Wow. Of course that's right. Because as long as the good cops turn their head, remain silent, don't intervene, they automatically become bad cops in that moment because they have enabled and allowed the bad cops to continue. So there are no good cops until we get rid of the bad cops. That's the position we have to take. I'm sick and tired of the language that the media keeps using about this, about the cops, about calling the, this rebellion a riot, trying to racialize it in this way. Yeah, they're, they're rioting. They're not rioting. They're standing up against their people being killed. Under what sort of moral guidebook, moral compass, do you say that somebody who is trying to stand up and protest against this, and regardless, as long as they don't hurt another human being, how can you say that what they're doing is, oh, they're rioting? They're not rioting. They're in revolt. This is a rebellion. They are standing up for their lives. Looting. Oh, they're looting. Looting? What do you mean? Oh, oh yeah, looting. Oh yeah, that's right. Because, you know, a very, 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 very small percentage of the people, um, once a store has had its windows bashed out, uh, run in and, and grab some of the stuff at the CVS or the Adidas store, or the whatever I, I saw last night. And, oh, my God, and the, uh, the politicians get on there, and they get they even get the black politicians to come out, and, and, you know, there's an outcry against the looting. The looting, really? The looting. Funny I never hear that word any other time, because 
the real looting that goes on on a daily basis for all of my lifetime and long before me, it's the black community that's been looted. That's the real looting. How come we never hear about that? How come we never hear that word being used? You know, those payday loan stores there, mostly in the, in the black community, but poor white people know this too. And of course, brown people, the payday loan centers, they, people go in there, they use their paycheck as, as some sort of a collateral for to get a, to get a loan to, because now what's the latest statistic? 40% of American people, um, not only can't make it to the next paycheck, they make it to about two or three days before the next paycheck, and then they just run out of money. People don't have money. Half the country doesn't have $500 to its name. So these payday loan stores, they can charge up to 340% interest. Did you just hear what I said? 340% interest. I call that looting. Why don't we call that, why don't we call it the looting store? Looting money from the black community. <laughs> paying, paying poor people, mostly black, but also brown and poor white people, $7.25 an hour. That's looting because you're stealing their labor so that you can make a profit. Paying them $7.25 an hour, which is not even, forget about a living wage, it's a starvation wage. That makes you homeless, especially if you have a family. That's looting. That's the system looting the worker. How about this stat from the Brookings Institute? The average wealth, you know, like how much a family is worth, how much they how many assets they have, you know, whether it's their home or the principal, the principal in their home, cash, stocks, bonds, 401ks, summer cabin, whatever. Add it all up. The average white family in America has a, a what is called a worth of $171,000 average family. And by the way, they've taken out all the rich white people so that that is not a, so it doesn't tip the scale too far in favor of the white people. So all the, all the billionaires are out, uh, the millionaires, you know, they've taken this all out because this is a median, right? So, so, but they actually, they just wanted to show just in case, if you just wanted to add all white people, what the average uh, uh, net worth is to the average white family it's $981,000, almost a million dollars. That's the average white family. If you add in the rich, a million dollars. Do you know what the average worth, net worth is of the average black family in the United States? $17,000. $17,000. So, so the average white family, 170000 The average black family, 17000 You know what I call that? Looting. That's looting. The history of, of black Americans being looted I mean, it goes back. So, well, first of all, the, there's 246 years of, of, of slavery. So that's that. I call that looting. Anybody got a problem with that? Okay. 
Let me just give you a few other examples of what we don't call uh, looting in this country, the, in our, you know, historical examples. So in addition to slavery, um, this was followed that during Reconstruction, um, um, the federal government decided to, to set up a savings bank just for freed black slaves so that if they wanted to save any money, they could do it. It was called the Freedman's Savings Bank, and it was administered by Congress, but full of corruption, mismanagement, the whole deal. There were over 60,000 former slaves that were depositors in this Freedman's Savings Bank. Uh, and they ended up with losses of over $3 million, which back then in the 1860s and 70s was huge. So that all got looted. All the, the, the slaves are free. They start to work. They're hardly making anything. They're putting their pennies in this bank that the U.S. government has set up for them. And then the bank is looted by Congress and its cohorts. There's one massacre after another at the turn of the 20th century, Tulsa being the most, I think, famous one. If you don't know about it, you should uh, look up the Tulsa Greenwood District uh, Massacre, 1921. 10,000 um, essentially middle-class African-Americans had formed a community in Tulsa Um and they had businesses, they had this whole, uh, it was called the Black Wall Street. And one day white people said, enough of that. Burned it down and killed scores of black people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was more than just looting. But then all the different things, even the good things that we thought we set up in the 20th century, they were set up, but they all had exemptions where black people could not participate. Or if they didn't have exemptions, they were they were things like you know like the GI Bill. You've heard of that, you know, where the uh, the soldiers came back from World War II and they got their education and they got their uh, they got help with buying a home and all this stuff. Um, But they had but these things. First of all, to be a GI, you had to be white. I mean, the the, the army was not integrated at the time. There were black soldiers in World War II, a number of them, Uh, but they were not welcome. They had to really fight to get in, and then they they couldn't fight along white side white people. They had to fight in their own black units, but very hard. So there aren't many black GIs at the end of World War II to get to get to get on the gravy train of this wonderful. I mean, my dad used it, the, the GI Bill. Then there was the like the New Deal. The New Deal had a a fair labor standards. They wanted to set up to so that workers would be treated correctly, but they had an exemption for black people. Domestic workers, service occupations, blacks who worked the, who were still working the cotton fields, all exempted from the New Deal Fair Labor Standards Act. And this stuff goes on and on throughout our history, with black people being looted over and over and over again. The crash of two thousand eight. How many black families were evicted from their homes because of the predatory lending practices of these banks? Looted again. And then these these politicians, they stand in front of the TV microphones last night, asking for calm, begging for calm. Everybody be calm. Really? Would you be calm with what I just described? White people, anybody want to pay 340% interest? How calm would you be? You don't get what you're seeing on TV. You don't get what's going on in the streets of who knows how many Dozens or hundreds of American cities this weekend. These so-called white leaders calling for peace? You're too late. Where have you been for the last 401 years? 401 years ago when that first slave ship landed. Where have you been? Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota, the former prosecutor, (laughs) 
You have to stop. Do not stand in front of another camera. Quit quit auditioning for vice president. You're not getting it. You go on TV and you tell black people last night how to behave. It's insulting. She says, she looks in the camera and she goes, now at 8 p.m., you all must go home. What? No, you go home. You, Amy Klobuchar, as prosecutor, refuse to prosecute killer cops. You are lying when you say that 80% of these agitators are from out of town. That's not true. Common sense, we all know that's a lie. You're making that up. And and now I, we've heard this from all these other cities in the morning. Oh, yeah, no, the, 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 the radical protesters, they were from elsewhere. They took off their license plates so we wouldn't know what state they're from. Yeah, because what are they saying? What is Amy in Minnesota saying? And what are these other mayors saying that, oh, no, our black people are good. Our black people are good. It's these others from other states. Oh, what, what are you? Are the others black or are they white? Are you? What are you saying? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some people from Chicago or Detroit, which is close enough to drive to Minneapolis, might have, might have shown up. But Detroit and Chicago had their own thing going. So did Flint. So did Grand Rapids. So did Columbus, Ohio. Des Moines. Salt Lake City. I heard somebody say, I didn't know there were black people in Salt Lake City. Yes, of course there are. There are black and brown people everywhere in this country. Where have you been? They don't want to believe it's local people doing this. Because why would they? Why would why would our black people break these windows and start these fires? No, they wouldn't do that. They're not that upset. It's not that bad here. It's Minnesota. It's like we'll be gone. Wow. They not only lie to us, they lie to themselves. Nobody's buying it. My friends, this uprising has to continue. Don't hurt another human being, please. Continue, continue what you've been doing. Do not hurt people. Do not put other people in jeopardy. Even these dirty cops, these bad cops, I'm going to give you some suggestions of what needs to be done, what we need to do as a society and what we need to, what we all can do each other ourselves right now, today. Um, so here we go. These ideas are not just my ideas. These are being proposed by many, many people. And I want to g give them more power and, um, and a larger microphone. Um, so here we go. This is what I believe and I demand, and I and millions of others demand the following. Number one, cut local police budgets by 50%. Cut it now. Cut them right off. This, this is, they, do, we do not need this. And I'll tell you how we, how we do not need it in just a couple seconds here. But I'm telling you, you think you need it to protect yourself, but there are better ways to protect our neighborhoods and our communities. Police is not one of them. First of all, they don't prevent crime. What are police? 
Police respond after you call 911, after the crime is being or been committed. Then they show up. They should change their name to crime scene cleanup. That's what they do. They put some yellow tape up, take some pictures, gather evidence, and then hopefully they try to punish the person after the fact who's committed this crime. But they do not prevent crime. They found that they have just as good a presence if they're on bikes and their little shorts and all that just as well uh, as, as opposed to driving around in their cars and harassing people. That doesn't help. Cut the police budgets by 50% right away. That would have a huge impact um, in protecting, protecting us and especially protecting black people from the police. Number two, we have to demilitarize our local police. This has gotten crazy. Since 9-11, the cops, they, it looks like a military operation. They've given police agencies tanks and all these guns and equipment and stuff that you use in war. What's the message to the people in the community? That we're at war against you. You're the enemy. And we will fucking kill you if we need to. Even if we don't need to, we'll fucking kill you. No more army equipment given to the police. Demilitarize them. They are not to wear camouflage. They are to look like us. Number three, we could pull a Reagan here. I don't know, you know, those of you who were alive then when Reagan was president. It might have been the third or fourth month into his presidency, just a couple months after he was um after he was shot, actually, uh, he, uh, the, the air traffic controllers had their own union and they went on strike all across the country. The, you know, the guys that work the airports, guys, men and women, they went on strike and Reagan ordered them back to work. They had to work. And they said, no, we, we're a union. You have to negotiate with us. He, he said, well, yeah, do I? Uh, you're all fired. He literally fired every air traffic controller in the country, every tower. At every airport, no matter how big or small the airport was, was removed. Every employee was removed. It was stunning. I can't remember how long it was before air air travel continued, but it wasn't long. It might have been a few days. I don't know where they, they did some quick training. They had scabs, you know, people would cross the picket line. But the union never got their jobs back. They never came back. And they were able to operate our, our air travel system with a whole new force of air traffic controllers. I say we do the same thing with the cops. Um, I'm not saying fire them, but I think I think we need to do we need to we need a pause right now, and we need to do what Reagan did, uh, and that is we have to suspend the police. All police are suspended, or or definitely all white police are, because those are the ones doing you know, 99% of the the killings. And then immediately they're re-interviewed. We have a, we have a, a interview. I call it a racism review board where the cops to keep their jobs, to be rehired, have to come and be vetted by the racism review board. They have to be re-interviewed and that board will decide, that board will know very quickly whether this person should be a cop or not. And these cops, especially the white cops, um, they've got to prove they've got a college education or they're going to college or they're doing something to enlighten their ignorant brains. I'm sorry. 
they can get their job back, but only after a careful review. It can be quick. In the meantime, neighborhood groups can form their own safety committees. Um, but this isn't working. The crowd we've got, they're not policing themselves. The good cops remain silent. And so, therefore, they've got to suffer through going through being rehired again. And the ones that we de- we determine truly are good and will speak up when they see something wrong going on, then I think I want an increase of pay for the, the good cops, the real good cops, the new good cops, because that's a dangerous job. They're willing to give their lives. Um, and any job, this I've always had this opinion, any job that I certainly would never want to do, so that would, that would, you know, be being a, a police officer. Um, uh, I can think of a few. Or any job I can't do, brain surgery, jet pilot. All those people, I'm happy that they're paid more. <laughs> I want them to be paid well. And I want the cops who risk their lives for us to be, to be paid well and get good benefits and live. But we've got to, we have to pause and reboot. This isn't working. With that 50% of the police budget that we're now going to not give them, that money should be shifted to neighborhoods. It should be shifted to neighborhoods to help neighborhoods, um, again, with their own safety issues, fix the lights in the street, do some really basic things that would help people feel safer, shift that money to the neighborhoods. I know people are listening to this and they're going, Mike, what about crime? You know, when when you... I, I, hey, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm you too. I live, you know, I, I, uh, you know, split my time between Michigan and uh, New York. I'm well aware of safety issues and uh, crime, but, but I'm going to, I actually, I have the secret. I have the, the secret on, on how to end crime. And it's shocking to me that nobody has, at least nobody in power cares to, Either share the secret, or, or if they know the secret, why not? Why not just do it? Do I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am gonna say it here publicly. I'm gonna share it with you right now on this podcast. Um, if you want to end crime, really, you want to end crime, right? Here's how: end poverty and empower women. Do those two things, and and you'll have the, the crime rate of Switzerland. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, just think about this. You know, and if you're saying to me, "Oh, yeah, that sounds like a typical liberal," just end poverty. Well, actually, you, we can. We actually can end poverty. We're the richest country on earth, and we can we can do that. Um, uh, you know, we can pay people a, a real minimum wage. A real minimum wage should be $25 an hour. That's $1,000 a week. It's $50,000 a year. That's not a lot these days. Certainly not in, in the larger cities, but but out in maybe rural areas or, you know, 50,000 years, that's a great, that does a great wage, not just a living wage, a great wage. Imagine how people would feel and how they would live if they made 50, and if there's two incomes in the house, 100000 a year. How much crime do you think there there is in in the neighborhood then when when a, a, a two partners a husband and wife whatever are making a hundred thousand total combined a year? What do you what do you think that what do you think the crime rate is? Or let me ask I'll make it more specific. What are the chances if your next door neighbor or neighbors 
are making 50000 to 100000 a year. What is the chance that they're going to, when you're away from your house, break in and steal your computer? Steal your TV? Take grandma's ring? What are the chances? Go ahead. Just spitball it for me. What's the percentage? What's the, ch- what's the chance that somebody making 50000 or a couple that's making 100000 a year is going to rob you, hurt you, jump you from the bushes? You know what the answer is. You've already got it. The answer is none. The chances are none, with the exception of the kleptomaniacs, okay, that, which is a mental issue. And so if we had better mental health that was paid for, um, you didn't have to worry. You could go get help if you're a kleptomaniac. You like to steal things. Um, that's okay. Fine. That's a problem, but it's a mental problem. It's not a. It's not a crime problem. Who is going to hurt you if they're making fifty thousand a year, or together they're making a hundred thousand a year? Right there. Why wouldn't you support a a good middle class minimum wage just for your own safety? Just so that all the other people, you know, all the other people in the neighborhood are getting this, this thousand dollars a week. They're not going to hurt you. They're not going to break in. They're not going to steal your car. Can you imagine being carjacked going down the street? Somebody, somebody's rolled down the window. They've got a gun pointed at you and you go, Joe, <laughs> don't you and Betty make you make a hundred thousand a year. Why are you stealing my car? I don't know. I saw it in the movie. <laughs> All right. Come on, folks. There you go. Right there. End crime. You want to get rid of crime? Eliminate crime virtually. You'll never get rid of all of it. Pay people a real minimum wage. Make sure they're earning at least that each year. You'll be safe. Your children will be safe. Again, not from the people that have mental issues, but from what you call criminals today. <laughs> what if what if we had a guaranteed job? What if we just said every American is guaranteed a job? That's a, it's a human right in the United States of America. Wouldn't that make you safe? Knowing everybody who wanted a job could get a job because the government has a lot of work to do to repair this country. And I don't mean just building roads and bridges, but people can do all kinds of things. What if we had a 35-hour work week? Wouldn't that make us safer? We, I mean, we see, we, you already know that if you've, been, if you've been at home during this pandemic. A four-day work week, wouldn't that be good? A four-day work week. You know, maybe you work, you work eight, and a half, eight and a half to nine hours a day for those four days, and then you're done. You're done on, on Thursday afternoon. And you're not back till Monday morning. Wow. Just think of your blood pressure and just all the internal stuff of how much healthier you would be. What if we had universal health care or what I call universal Canadian health care or um, what I call universal uh, Judeo-Muslim Christian health care? Referring to the fact that each of the books of those religions uh, insist that we take care of our fellow citizens when they're sick. What if we just did that? We know now the broken healthcare system, what it's really about and how it's failed us. Let's get in charge of it. The government should be in charge of it just like it is in every other democracy. Let's just friggin' do this. 
You want to get rid of crime? You want to feel safe? You don't need more police. You need your neighbors not fearing bankruptcy or eviction simply because they got sick. You want to feel safe? Make sure they're taken care of. Make sure you're taken care of when you're sick. And the, I mean, there's a, you know, the litany of this list here of how we'd all be living in a better, safer society where we don't need white men with guns to protect us. We need to protect ourselves by taking care of each other. That GI Bill I mentioned that my dad and all the other soldiers, the white soldiers all got after the war, they got to go to college for free. Free college. Socialism. They, 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 they had a, there's a, there was a, a thing set up to help them get no interest or low interest loans to get a home, to buy their own home. Coming out of the depression, none of them. My dad, nobody had, nobody had ever owned their home. They'd rented their whole lives. They could own their home. The government would help them do that and not expect anything back for it. Just some basic no interest loans or they'd help with the down payment. That's oftentimes the thing that prohibits people from getting their own house. The GI Bill did that. How about a GI Bill for black people? Or GI Bill for poor Americans, be they black, brown, or white? We did it before. We did it coming out of that war. How about we do it to end this war? The war on the poor. The war on black people. What if the best tribute to George Floyd was, was to just take care of people who aren't white? Is there something wrong with that idea? We need to empty the prisons, my friends. We have locked up so many millions of black and brown people. It's, it's immoral. They have to be, these prisons have to be emptied. Then all, first of all, all nonviolent offenders out. And we need a social service system set up to help them. People with drug problems that are in prison, help, help, medical help, not prison. Only a very few people need to be in prison. The ones that are <laughs> truly are danger to us and need to be kept separate from us. That's not the majority of people though. These drug laws have to change. Profiling has to change. That should be immediately illegal. No police is allowed to follow a black person driving a car. You know, unless they're, 10, they're going 10, 20 miles over the speed limit, something like that. That's it. You are not to pull over a black person in this country until we fix this problem. Sorry, that's it. If you, if you are a cop and you pull over a black person, you're fired. I know this sounds radical to white some white people listening that are going, is Mike out of his mind? I know, I know what you're thinking. It's it's day, what is it now? Day 83? <laughs> I've been here. I've been in lockdown. I've been under house arrest for 83 days and my mind is gone. No, my mind isn't gone. It's clear as a bell. And watching the uprising has been inspiring. We need to set up public banks, public, you know, government-sponsored credit cards. You know, the things that, Poor people, black people often can't get because the system is rigged against them, because the system loots them, because the system is constantly rioting against them on a day-to-day -day basis. That can stop now. The fact that women don't have power, 
They don't have economic power. They don't have power. They, they, the Supreme Court is getting ready to take away control over their own reproductive system, uh, thanks to Trump's uh, appointments. Women are still only 25% of Congress when they're the majority gender, on and on. Imagine how all this list of things, these things I've gone through, how much better it would be if it was a majority of women in Congress or in our state legislatures. That's not to say all women are, you know, I mean, you you can name all the crazy conservative politicians um, who are women and who, who do what they can to hurt other women. Now I'm talking about them, though. I'm talking about the majority of women. More power to women means a better society for the rest of us. And can we start funding the arts in all communities the same way we fund sports? Okay, I'm out of time here. Um, you probably should be heading out somewhere, right? Because I think I think this is in even the smallest towns today, tonight. Become part of it. Here's what This is what you personally can do right now. Join the uprising. Join it. Get out there and protest. Make your own homemade sign if you can. Be part of this. There's more of us than there are of them. Don't stay home. Don't don't set this one out. If you can't join, if you're going to stay home, then write 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 to your local mayor, your city council, the person that represents your neighborhood. Let them know that you want some of these things enacted in terms of the police and what needs to happen, how we need to spend our money, not so much on the police, but on ourselves and on our neighborhoods. I want to close um, this podcast reading something that Colin Kaepernick wrote. Um, he, of course, was the NFL quarterback um, that has been banned from the NFL because he dared to take a knee in silence whenever the national anthem was played. He didn't prevent anybody else from singing the song, just bowed his head. And he did it because he wanted to bring attention to the fact that the police were killing Black people, black young people, black kids. And for that, his career was ended. But he's still with us and still speaking out. And I thank him. I thank him. I I just throw a big thank you out into the air every day for Colin Kaepernick. This is what he had to say this weekend about our American uprising. When civility leads to death, Revolting is the only logical reaction. The cries for peace will rain down, and when they do, they will land on deaf ears because your violence has brought this resistance. We have the right to fight back. Rest in power, George Floyd. That's from Colin Kaepernick. That's the truth. We get to determine how this all ends. I think I know how most of you feel about how you want this to end, the same way I do. But we are going to have to make it happen. It will not happen on its own. And there must not be a single, single black American killed again with our tax dollars and our bullets Not one more. It won't stop on its own. You have to join the resistance. You have to rise up. You have to get involved. Find the way, whatever the best way is for you to do that. 
everybody has the role in this. To do nothing is to be complicit. You are part of the problem then. But, hey, you listen to Rumble, so I don't think it's you I'm talking to. I think I know that you're already doing this. You're already involved. And if you're not, you're going to turn this thing off right now and get involved. Thank you for letting me talk to you today on this emergency podcast edition of Rumble with Michael Moore. I care deeply about all of you. And for those who've had to suffer while I and others like me got to have the privilege, that ends now. It must end now. Bless all of you. Uh, please be well. I will speak to you again in the next day or two. I know some of you are writing me about what's going on with our movie. Is Yes, it's still banned. It is still down. It's still not on YouTube. Uh, the, the other forces of evil have uh, succeeded in interrupting it with their outside attack. Um, we will win this. Uh, the movie will be back up and we'll talk about what really happened. But that is not today's issue. Today, we take back America. Please, my friends, participate. Resist, rise up, join in, um, and be good to yourselves and to others. We'll talk soon. We stand-